I don't know what's happening. As the boss of the podcast, I'm concerned that I don't know what's happening. I've only seen it on YouTube. I have so I'm, many questions. Do I need to move on? <laughs> Please. <so>. Okay. okay. <laughs> Does Eyes Wide Shut count as a Christmas movie? No. What's wrong with you? After giving away all of the Mandalorian, this is where we're going to draw the line on spoilers. Wilson! Oh, I was not listening. <laughs> that is very apparent to everyone on the podcast that you were not listening. Did we just J.J. Abrams' this podcast where we had a great 90% and then couldn't land it? Yeah, pretty well. Okay, here's where y'all are so wrong because y'all are idiots. Just to be clear, did you say Robert De Niro? Yes. I'm sorry. Have you seen the movie? Have you not seen Godfather Part 2? Oh, no. You used to take that back. As the boss of this podcast, I'm going to say that. All right. The, the listeners at home can't see the look of the <laughs> yeah. movie I have on my face right now. But I, I, want, I want them to know that I am dumbfounded by that comment. This is not the podcast you deserve. Welcome to another episode of Not the Podcast You Deserve. I'm Drew Crawford, joined today by my co-host Kyle Cox and Drew Allen. Uh, today we're reviewing a movie we watched, and to be honest, uh, I think people are going to have mixed opinions on this. But before we get judged by the internet, I want everyone to know I picked this movie because I have a catalog of DVDs in my house, and I asked Kyle to pick a letter, and I asked Drew Allen to pick a number. Don't Drew put Allen, this on me. <laughs> Drew Allen picked a stupid number, so then I asked him to pick a letter and Kyle to pick a number, and they chose E5, <laughs> and I bingo-styled this, and it brought us today's movie, Enemy at the Gates, it, which I personally was happy about because I like this movie a lot. And I would love to get, first of all, have you guys seen this movie before? Yes. Uh, first time for me. Ooh. Okay. I've never heard of this movie before. Really? Yeah. It's intriguing. Uh, well, then I'll kick off the first question to you. I was going to start with first impressions, but this is truly a first, first impression for you. So Kyle Cox, what'd you think? I have so many questions some of which would be, why did anyone make this movie? The second question would be, why did they hire a bunch of British and American actors to play a German and a Russian spy? Uh, the third question would be, at what point in time did someone think this would be a good two and a half hour movie to make? Those are my takeaways. So, like to- you, loved, so you loved it. <laughs> really good time. Really good time. Uh, at one point, this was the largest British production of a like movie ever. So that would answer why a bunch of British people are playing Germans and Russians. It's a movie but, about the Russians in World War II. And they got freaking Jude Law and Ed <laughs> Harris to play the leads. Yeah. Uh, this is back before you had to be politically correct when casting. Oh, about, they, they used British accents the whole movie. Yeah, I was gonna They say, weren't even this, trying to use Russian accents. This is one of my favorite things that uh, movies used to do all the time is that they either just do like, hey, I'm talking in English, but I do it in a German accent. So you think it's okay, Or they just avoid it altogether. And they're like, whatever. These people don't care. Like, they'll they'll get over it. At one point, there was one person who I think was really trying to method act. And there was a German henchman speaking German to Ed Harris who responded in a completely Americanized English sentence. And that guy like nodded his head and walked out. And I was like, wait, 
you could do it one way or you could do it the other, but you, you can't can have one person speak German and the other people, other people not. So I got 20 minutes into this movie. I got past the scene where Jude Law shoots like eight people in the head in a span of three seconds, which is a and, dope scene. Yeah. And I had to pause it and I had to go and get my phone and look up on IMDb. Like, what is this movie about? Cause I was for sure. This couldn't be a movie about the Russian soldiers taking on the German soldiers and everyone's British. I was like, they, they, I must have seen, I must have misread a title card. I must have fallen asleep when they were explaining to me why they had to import Jude Law from the British army to come and kill people for them. And I was no, they're just using British accents in this Russian German spy flick. I'm done. Can go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I think it's a valid critique of the film. However, I was told about this movie at a young age by my older brother, who's eight years older than me, and he explained it as a Russian sniper hero of World War II battles another sniper, and I was hooked, line and sinker, all the way in. I was excited to watch it, and that kind of flavored the film for me, as I was ready to go. And then the movie opens with the Russian army storming back into Stalingrad and one out of every two soldiers gets a rifle and the other one just gets more bullets. And you have to wait until a guy in front of you gets killed till you could get your own rifle to shoot at the bad guys. And I thought one incredible way to open a film, very visceral, very terrifying. Talk about anxiety inducing. And then two, uh, I thought about a heavy criticism of my American education to where all of World War II was talked about how America came in and saved everybody. And then kind of at the end, Russia just kind of steps in and takes over Germany. And so I was pretty interested to see a, a film from the Russian perspective of what they were going through. Um, yeah, I so know. I will say I, I'm, I'm a big World War II history guy. Um, I, there are several great books out there and, and podcasts hey. and, and what? To name it. Uh, let's see. I just finished D-Day uh, by the Stephen Ambrose, the guy that did Band of Brothers. Um, there's the three Winston Churchill books called The Last Lion series, which the second one and the third one deal all about World War II and his involvement in that. And the political going on behind the scenes, which is really interesting. But they do a really good job of, of emphasizing uh, – Basically, without the Russian involvement, World War II would have been over like three years prior before the Americans ever got in. The Russians like had to hold on for three years by themselves as the British and Americans were like, we're coming, we promise. And he was like, get your butts in here. And they're like, no, we're so close. And then they're like, seriously, if you don't like get a second front started in a year, I'm going to sign a treaty with Hitler. And we're like, don't do that. We're coming. Oh, wow. How about June? How about June? <laughs> he was like, how about now? Get here now. Um, it sounds a lot like what happened at the Alamo. Okay. Okay. That I would say the fun. Alamo is the one battle that I think I could give you more than two facts about That's and funny. feel pretty good about those two facts. So, um, But I did like the, there is a lot of historical evidence pointing to the fact that the Russians did kill their own guys for retreating. Uh, you either went to go fight the Germans and died or uh, no, that was pretty much it. 
that that was your only option because you that died. Scene if you turn around, tense. you die. Yeah. That scene was super tense. They started shooting their own deserters. I was like, oh boy. Uh, one of the I things I, I actually do like about this movie, though, is that while it takes place in the context of a whole war going on, it's base, it's just a story about a cat and mouse between these two individuals fighting their own war inside of the war. And a lot of times it's easy to forget, like, because he's not sitting in the battlefields most of the time, uh, except that one time he goes to kill Ed Harris and then falls asleep in the middle of the battlefield. Uh, that was the one time that I was like, oh, that was one of the times that I was like, come on, that wouldn't happen. You can't just sleep through bombs going off. Also, this movie is super loud. Like I was watching it when wife and child were asleep and I kept having to like turn it down when the explosions were going off. And then when they got to the scenes with the, with dialogue, I had to turn it back up, like find the remote and turn it back up. Like the explosions were super loud. Yes, this was definitely another time in uh, cinema where they were like, let's make everything. as It's like what commercials today do, where it's like, I know you're just watching that football game at this volume, but don't worry. <laughs> the commercial coming on will be at this volume. And you're like, come on, that's not OK. Uh, and they do that I, with the dialogue to the explosions. And I, I think this movie at the first and only view pretty much just traded off one for one of one scene insane amount of, of explosions and shooting battle scene next scene dialogue heavy like supposed to kind of build some sort of character depth for the three people you care about then back to war then back to dialogue then back to war and like i just at no point in time cared at all about any of the characters which makes me think that the dialogue scenes weren't good enough to trade off <laughs> one for one but maybe I'm just an idiot. Maybe it just wasn't, maybe I was in a bad mood. Like, why did I care about Rachel Weiss's character at all? Like, why did I care about yeah. Jude Law at all? I don't know. What, Ralph Fine Finney's? Ralph Fine's? Anybody want to it's say his that? brother. Ray Fine's his brother, Joseph Fine's. That's the one. Thank you. Fine's is how you say it. Uh, like, at no point in time was I even remotely interested in who he was or why he was trying to have a love triangle with Rachel Weisz and Jude Law. Yeah. And that might be on me as I, the viewer. Maybe I missed something. I thoroughly enjoyed <clears throat> that whole dynamic of like, so Joseph, what was Joseph Fine's characters called? Uh, Denilov and Vasily, they meet on the battlefield and Denilov's the educate, you know, the, the intellectual and Vasily's the sniper. And then the, intellectual makes Vasily the sniper a hero and then watches the woman he falls in love with fall in love with the hero that he's made and get all bitchy about it and kind of how their friendship suffers from it and kind of the tragedy inside of the whole Russian side of the war. I don't know. I bought into that. I, I will say um, I think the movie, well, I don't know. I imagine it went like this. A guy wrote a, a guy who was pretty familiar with how to write a war story, wrote a war story, brought it to a studio and they said, great. It needs a love triangle. And he was like, what? And they're like, yeah, we won't do it unless there's a love scene. And he's like, okay. Uh, I don't know how to write shooting people. I don't know how to write love dialogue, but I'm going to figure it out. And then we got this movie. 
And boy, uh, did we get a love scene. And boy, did we get a love scene. Oh, man. Just the sexiest taking off of a glove you've ever seen. Uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, you'll get that reference eventually. Uh, there are just no worse. There are few worse circumstances and scenarios I could imagine for trying to make love to somebody than in a, in a bunker with a hundred other smelly people. My, my wife turned to me and said, you know, they smell. <laughs> I like, couldn't argue with it. They, the dirt in this film is just caked on all of the actors all of the time. Yeah. They look uncomfortable and cold. Uh, so before, and we'll talk more about individual scenes coming on uh but overall i want to know how this ranks for you on the war movie scale you know from band of brothers saving private ryan to uh i don't know mm, tropic thunder or platoon uh, or, or i don't know where what are some other comparable sniper movies shooter american sniper <laughs> where does where does enemy of the gates <laughs> fall for you kyle I'm going to beat Drew Allen to this bit because he normally does this bit. And I'm going to say, I would rank, as far as war movies go, I would rank this right underneath A Bug's Life for me in terms of war movies. Uh, and I would, uh, I would uh, keep Saving Private Ryan at the top uh, with Black Hawk down right, right beneath that. And then 10 to 150 more than A Bug's Life and then Enemy at the Gate. Um, I think going up, that's a, I don't know how, how, that's incredible. I love that. I love that rating system. Uh, it doesn't touch Band of Brothers, but that's not fair. That's a miniseries. It's got 10 episodes to really build out all of its characters. And that's just the perfect war drama. Um, same Private Ryan, far too epic of a story. Also too high, way above this. I put this above Pearl Harbor. I put this above. Dare you. Above. Ben Affleck lost his life saving our country. Are you to rank this above Pearl Harbor? I put no, this actually, no, above, above Defiance with uh, Daniel Craig and one of my favorites, Liv Schreiber. Ooh, I actually I've never really seen that, that one. movie. You haven't? It's, it's worth a watch. Um, but uh, I, as far as sniper movies, I put this below both American Sniper and Shooter uh, for different reasons, but. I think American Cyber is a better movie all around and Shooter's just a more fun action movie. Uh, mm. But I put this kind of on par with The Last Samurai. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take away some of the more fun, crazy Tom Cruise being a samurai aspect and put in a little bit more historical accuracy, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I love the sniper role in a movie. Like if I'm playing Call of Duty, I will pick the sniper nine times out of 10. Unless we're on that ship level, in which case you have to get an SMG, or else you're just everybody's gonna be mad at you, just screaming into their headsets. So is that that line you just said about Tom Cruise samurai movie historical relevance? Is that the first time that sentence has ever been spoken <laughs> in, in the in the history of the earth of of humans? I don't I think the first time me. ever been said. In the Last Samurai, did they speak in Japanese or did they speak in English? Because that would have been more historically accurate than this movie. I uh, have. I'm not super big on war movies because I kind of feel like a lot of them 
it's you repeat the same sort of you know scenarios and shots and all that sort of stuff uh i i did not see fury which i wanted to see i did not see the one with andrew garfield uh when he's like a like a priest or something hacksaw ridge that's the one wanted to see that one didn't see it um but uh (laughs) he's got a bible i want to say at some point i know that fury brad pitt's got like a cool haircut and he gets in a tank and Shia LaBeouf is in it for a hot second. So I want to see that like one the too. the whole thing. He's in the whole thing. Oh, great. Good for him. I think he probably <laughs> needed that paycheck. That's good. Um, so yeah, I've there, I'm not, I'm not huge on, uh, on war movies though. So uh, if you guys wouldn't mind, since you both enjoyed this movie, in, enlighten me on what made this a good war movie specifically for you or better than uh, a bug's life at least. Sure. Uh, I like has got one of the best training scenes of any army ever and, and the stakes you know they're for what so they're high. fighting for fighting those grasshoppers man um no i'd say one of the things that i liked about this as a war movie was what i mentioned earlier about how it takes place inside of a war and it shows you that opening seat in stalingrad to try to like really paint the picture of there's a lot of you know chaos going on outside and a lot of death and destruction and uh but it boils it down to the fight between these two individuals really uh and makes the whole story about that uh which i thought was really interesting um i also like when movies are more movies are historically based uh which you think like obviously but some of them aren't like we talked about shooter a second ago like that's a sniper movie that is not a historical movie yeah uh, but it's fun because it has cool kills um, right. but i i enjoy movies that actually take place in the past and and talk about those uh those stories and i don't know i love i also love ed harris i think he's like the quintessential war movie guy yeah uh, he as soon as he walked on screen i just wrote down in my notes of course it's ed harris like <sighs> If there's a war movie, there's like a 20% chance he's in it and not doing the accent. And a 100% chance of him being the bad guy. Um, I, what I loved about, uh, I, I agree with Crawford 100%. And I think war movies in general, I mean, you get incredible stories about honor and valor. And when they're historically based, I mean, they're just phenomenal real life stories that you get to celebrate people who actually mattered and stood for something and changed the world for better which is great. And what I loved specifically about this war movie is one, it does a great job of setting a lot of scenes where you kind of geographically know what's going on. Cause that can be kind of difficult when there's a bunch of explosions and a bunch of just dirt and blown up buildings all around. It's hard to kind of, it can be hard to not get lost. And is that what broken building am I shooting out of and into? And there's a bunch of extras running around. And so the scale is incredible. And then also this, the fact that it's from the Russian perspective, which I don't know if I've seen another movie f- about World War II from the Russian perspective. And I had never really thought much about it, but the, it was just eye-opening, like them getting- Communists weren't known for their cinematography, so. <laughs> just the propaganda. Uh, the, the, just them getting herded on trains and locked in till they got to Stalingrad and then forced on a boat and then shot if they left and then forced into battle without a weapon 
because they've got more men than rifles and then shot if they retreated. And then the fact that they just had to do that. And then the generals were shot if they didn't send their men in to die. It was just a new type of hell on earth that was eye-opening for me. And it was really, uh, I don't want to say cool, but like, I felt like I was experiencing and got to, got to see an aspect of World War II that I had never even thought about and had only heard about one time at like, like the end of a World War II unit, where I was like, all right, America backed Hitler into Germany and then Russia came in and that was it. Okay, let's go on to whatever the next part is. I can't remember what we went on from there. <laughs> Vietnam, I guess. <laughs> uh, so I was going to ask you guys, and Kyle, you may have less to contribute on this part, but uh, were there any cool scenes or favorite lines, or I guess, Kyle, things that you hated uh, that really just stuck out to you uh, that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, one thing for me, we talked about the accents earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. I made several notes about that. Uh, the one that really stuck out more than anything was what was Ron Perlman's accent? <laughs> or, or because he, he tried to do one, but like, is it Australian? Why was he wearing grills? Why did he look like the bad guy from James Bond movies? Because they knocked his teeth out. They knocked his but, teeth out. They talked about that. But why did they have to be solid silver? Because so, he's a badass. There, you win. I lose. <laughs> he was in the movie for for three minutes. Oh yeah, R.I.P. Ron Perlman. And he dies in the most ridiculous way. In my head canon, uh, Ron Perlman had just heard Grills uh, and watched the music <laughs> video and was like, you know what? For my next movie, I need a grill. Regardless, I'm gonna of rob what it the was. jewelry store till they make me a grill. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what happened for me. But how do you not love Ron Perlman? I am so shocked with Crawford that that he did not save this movie for you. Yeah, I don't know to tell you guys. I think if he had died in a cooler way or in a way that had made sense at all, then I would have been like, oh, no, Ron Perlman. He dies by getting shot by a sniper from a million yards away while jumping three feet into a clearance. It's just like, this guy is... Is God with a handgun? That's he what it's supposed he to kill everyone. Yeah, it's supposed to communicate that he is well, that good of a it, sniper. Yeah, I was gonna say two things out of that. One, in the next scene, Jude Law is like freaking out. He's like, "I can't beat him." Like he just made an impossible shot, describing what you just said. Yeah. He, he's like, "I can't beat this guy. He's gonna kill me." I know. Uh, and secondly, I did like the juxtaposition of they brought in Ron Perlman's character because he studied under this guy. So he was supposed to teach Jude Law all the tricks and how to go catch this guy. And, you know, we're going to outsmart him together. And Ed Harris kills him instantly, immediately putting Jude Law back on the island of, you have to figure this out on your own. And that's my thing. They did not make me care about his character one iota before they killed him because he was so daggum quick. Like, this must have been for shock, the shock factor, I guess is what we're going for. I think he needed the paycheck back to our Shia LaBeouf comment from earlier. Uh, he just needed Hell- two days of work on set. Hell- Hellboy 2 was not doing well. and <laughs> Hellboy 2 is great. You take it back. Listen, if you're going to talk crap about Enemy at the Gates and die on the hill of Hellboy 2, your opinions no longer count. <laughs> 
Uh, as far as lines go, I, I don't, I, there's none lines that stood out to me, but I really do like the whole dynamic of like, they make Vasily to be the hero of the Russian army as the sniper who's just knocking off German soldiers or German captains and lieutenants left and right. And then him having to deal with the weight of that and then being hunted down. And, and I think that I enjoyed that aspect of it, which I think is hard to do regardless of me not caring about how many wolves he killed as a five-year-old or uh, <laughs> how many he didn't, you know, that one scene, which I had totally forgotten about that poor horse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of poor characters, uh, poor Sasha. Uh, Ooh. I, I do love all the scenes with Sasha and Ed Harris. I thought Ed Harris does a great job of uh, talking to that little kid, right? Um, the kid who gets hanged. Yeah. That was yeah. sad. Okay, that was the one moment in this movie where I had a like an actual like emotional response when the little boy is hanged. That was yeah, sad. I, what I was think the it, deal? I think it truly shows uh, you know, that one shot where Ed Harris kills Ron Perlman is supposed to highlight his skill, right? And a lot of the maneuvers he's done highlight his craftiness. That scene highlights his actual like evil. Like yeah. he's walking with the little kid and he's talking about how he's frustrated with that kid. Cause he's like, you, you're making me do this. I don't want to do this, but you're making me do it. And it's like, you don't have to guy, just let him go. But uh, you're like twisted sense of reality. You hang a child uh, and that's messed up. Did I miss, did I miss why Sasha was going back and forth between the Russians and the Germans. What was the reason for that? You sure did. The Russians were basically using him as a double agent. Specifically, uh, Joseph Fine's character. Yeah. Dental I missed that. Okay. Yeah. So it was like, a, you go, you know, shine his boots and pretend to be a German sympathizer. And then you tell me what he says. And we'll use that information to try to find him. And then I'll try to feed you information to give to him. But that's how Ed Harris figures out Sasha's the double agent because he gives him information. He knows where he is. And he's like, Sasha, why'd you do that, man? Now I got to kill you. And Mm. uh, in a a real bad way. Mm. Not the way to go. Uh, One thing I thought was funny about this movie is that it cuts out all the incredibly boring parts of being a sniper. Oh, okay. Like sitting in the same place for... 36 hours and you know having to poop in a bag and just like sit around and stay awake (laughs) and not talk to anybody and not move they're just like no 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 just sit in this one room for about six minutes and then something cool will happen and you'll kill somebody uh and that's it and then you get to go home at night and talk to all your friends about it and that's like not what happens i'm not a sniper i have no military experience i'm very thankful for the troops because if they weren't the troops, I would have to be the troops and I would be the worst troops. So like so much respect, but I imagine being a sniper is way harder and way more boring than that. Most of the time. No, I agree. And I think the movie does kind of give you a taste of what that is because a lot of scenes will start and like, you'll, it'll be panning across a dead battlefield and it'll come across a sniper laying down and it's clear that he's been there for what feels like 12 hours because he looks so tired and disheveled and dirty, but they're always dirty in this movie. But 
they they get the point across that they have to be out here for forever and just not fall asleep, except for when Jude Law falls asleep that one time. But um, without making you sit there and watch for like as much fun as a seven minute oneer, you know, is in a movie, if it's just them laying down on a battlefield looking through a scope, it's not quite as impressive. Uh, one last thing for me, I know we've talked a little bit about accents and historical accuracy and all that. Uh, one fun, I'm going to say fun. It's fun for me. History, little tidbit. Uh, you might be thinking to yourself, what about the Asian guy who's with Jude Law uh, in his little sniper gang? That doesn't seem historically accurate. Actually it was. Uh, a lot of times the uh, Russians and Germans at some point would recruit uh, people from the East into like forcibly they'd conscript them and then force them into their armies and then uh they would start as russians and then the germans would win the germans would take them conscript them into their armies ship them to a different front so actually on d-day there were oost battalions from the east uh just sitting in normandy waiting for the americans to show up when the americans showed up they would kill their german commander and then walk out with their hands up and go we surrender because we're in France and we're from China. Wow. Uh, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> I love that fact. Another point of trivia, less historically accurate and more uh, from a cinematic uh, point of view. Anybody recognize who played Nikita Khrushchev? The German who was over there, uh, Danilov's character and like made that one general kill himself. Is it like uh, the most famous British actor of the time? It was He's Bob Russian. Hoskins. Bob Hoskins, who that played Eddie Valiant in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and Mario in the Super Mario Bros. movie, in wow. case you were wondering. And I'm sure Holy a bunch of cow. other things. Yeah. That, that uh, was him, Mario. <laughs> Man. That's amazing. Uh, He's got range. If you, if you were trying to play like, you know, six degrees of separation and you gave me enemy at the gates and who framed Roger rabbit. I couldn't have gotten there with six. <laughs> and it uh, turns out I only needed one. <laughs> That's pretty um, amazing. Do you guys, do you guys remember the scene in community uh, with the Nicholas cage? Abed's trying to figure out is Nicholas cage good or bad. And he's yeah. like, everybody, everybody follows into a category. He says, Robert Downey Jr., good. John Belushi, bad. John Claude Van Damme, the good kind of bad. Johnny Depp, the bad kind of good. When I was thinking about this movie, it's not a bad movie. It's, it's not a bad movie. But is it a good movie? Or like, you know, like The Prestige is a good movie. Like Dougal's a bad movie. Like Con Air is like the bad kind of good movie. Uh, or the good kind of bad movie. Yeah, Con Air, good kind of bad. Like Pan's Labyrinth is like the bad kind of good movie, you know, where like objectively this is a good movie. I just didn't enjoy it. And I couldn't figure out like where this fits on like the spectrum of like good, bad, because I think it was probably a fine movie, but like I just didn't enjoy it. And I don't know why I didn't enjoy it. I don't didn't like I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. I, maybe I'm just not a big history buff, which I'm I'm not. I'll be the first to tell you that. Um, and I don't know if it's just because I'm not huge on like war movies, but like, I just don't, I, I think, I honestly do think when I realized that Jude Law was playing a Russian 
and he was refusing to drop his British accent and they were just not even going to try to thank you for smoking ism that out like, Oh, he transferred from wherever you're like, I think that was it for me. I don't think I ever got past that. I think that was like the glass shattering moment of like this movie blows and I didn't give it a fair shot because like I was just couldn't get. And then Ed Harris trying a German accent, like once every four lines, I just couldn't do it, man. I don't know. Does that make it the bad kind of good movie or does that make it the good kind of bad movie? I don't know. I mean, tremors can only be made so many times. You're like, that's a, that's a great bad movie. You know, this isn't tremors. This certainly isn't memento. Like, I don't know what this movie is. Very confused by it. To your, I like that analogy. And to your point, uh, the story I tell myself to go to sleep at night uh, for liking this movie is that it started as a good movie on paper, right? Yeah. I think somebody wrote a pretty good movie and then some studios got involved and were like, it needs to have more love triangle to it. Uh, it needs to have Jude Law in it because he's hot right now. Like we need to, and they're like, okay, can he do an accent? And they're like, no, <laughs> it's, it's sexier if he's British. And they're like, but it doesn't work. And they're like, shut up. People are stupid. They'll give us their money. And it's like, all right, you got it. So I, that's how I justified to myself. Some executive somewhere made some decisions that the writer originally was like, this is pissing me off. Cause you're ruining my movie. Um, well, Rachel Weiss has a really, really good Russian accent and black widow, uh, like very convincing to the point where I was almost like, is her name vice? Like, is it Rachel vice? Like, is she like, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Like, Maybe she's not British. And then I went, oh, she's definitely British. Like, she could have, like, I think these actors are good. They could have done, I don't know, Ed Harris, maybe not. But, like, he didn't have to say much. Wolf. Yeah. He didn't <laughs> even know. try. That, I, know, I do that's respect him for just not even trying. <laughs> Going, okay, we need you to say it like this. It's a cop and a fife. And he's like, no, I'm Ed Harris. And they're like, no, you're not. You're German. <laughs> he's like, I'm American Ed Harris. <laughs> I just I think that was it for me. I don't think I could ever get past that. And maybe I should watch it again going into it, knowing that like that's art. Like if I knew that was gonna be the case going in, like maybe there's a chance that I wouldn't have just sat the whole movie being like boo, because that's how I felt. And I didn't I don't like doing that either. No, I, I get how that may come across. I don't know, is lazy would be a good word for it. Uh, but you have to remember this is this is 2001. This is pre-woke era where we don't have to be historically that historically accurate. We're just going to hire the biggest names to play the characters we want to shoot. But I think to your point a little bit on the Ed Harris side, I didn't have a problem with the accent because I would much rather them just talk in their normal accents and play the roles than to try for an accent and it not be good. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's the worst case scenario is if they try to be historically accurate because then you're ever watching a movie in subtitles or you're watching actors go in and out of accents or maybe you get a talent like Rachel Weisz uh, who does a really great job all the way throughout. Um, but for this movie, I don't know if this suffers from me being one of the first R-rated movies I got to see as a young kid, which made it super cool already and it's kind of a gritty movie like i mean you see a bunch of heads get shot clean through like ed harris takes one to the eye and it is aggressive uh spoiler alert but i enjoy this movie it's uh it could be i you know meet you in the middle somewhere it's probably the meh kind of good movie 
or, or possibly the good kind of man movie. But I, this, this is up there for me. I quite enjoy this, whether it's nostalgia or just that, you know, there, there's something to be said about one of the first few R-rated movies you get to see yeah. a little too early. When my, Voldemort's my little brother... <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Also, uh, when Harris doing the same accent as this movie. <laughs> when, Voldemort's, <laughs> when Voldemort's little brother gets shot in the head and it just kind of like sits there like this... The, the screen just kind of sits there on his head and there's like little pools of blood just kind of like, like plop out. I was like, oh my God, like cut away, like go move the camera. Like I seen it, he did. But you're right. There was a lot of that. I was just like, oh my gosh, that was freaking terrible. Like, like there's not a bunch of like puddles of blood or like bunch of gores, but there's straight up gunshot holes through heads, yeah. like very yeah. clean circles, but they go straight through and those things, those people drop. Yeah. So, uh, last thing, uh, when I try to rate a movie for myself, um, of like, is it a good movie, bad movie, kind of like what you're talking about, Kyle? Uh, I don't care as much about critic reviews and things like that because they can suck it. Um, so, kind of my own personal scale that I use is uh, first time enjoyment, just like straight off the couch. Do I feel like I had a good time? That's like the number one thing for me. Uh, two is originality. Um, and sometimes it's less important because like, hey, I'll watch John Wick 20 because I love those movies. Like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. I'll, I'll walk out of every one of those going, take my money. Um, and the third one is quotability. You guys know me. I love to quote. Uh, and so if there's no, th- there's nothing I can walk away and quote from, it's like, okay, it's not very memorable. And then fourth is just rewatchability. Like, would I want to see it again? I probably will at some point because I'm a creature of habit. But like how many years between is it going to be? Is it going to be three weeks like you've got mail or is it going to be five years like this movie? Uh, so just feel free to jump in whenever you guys want. But first time enjoyment, I was kind of like Drew. The first time I truly saw this, I was a young kid watching it with my brothers and I thought this is a cool war movie. Uh, so it's always held kind of a special place for me. But now seeing it as, you know, a grown up having experienced a lot of other better war movies i was like okay kind of down on this um but because i saw it so young I, I still like it kyle this was truly your first time so i don't know scale of one to ten just i don't know man is 10 armageddon scale scale of a bug's life to ants the <laughs> other bug movie i will say this i do feel like i should give it a week maybe two, maybe a month and go back and watch it again. Now knowing what I know and then see if I can place it on the Abed scale of good or bad. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, Drew, where would you rank it on originality? Uh, originality. I quite enjoyed this. I think it's a very original take. Like I said, I don't know how many World War II movies there are from the Russian perspective. I'm sure there's quite a few that I can't think of uh, possibly hunt red October but um, <laughs> this, <laughs> just off the top of my head, I got one. So there's probably a lot out there. This is the first one I've seen. And I, like I said, I love the sniper aspect. I, and I think Shooter, definitely not a war movie, but you get the sniper aspect of it. And there's American Sniper, which came out quite a bit after this one. But I think this movie does a really great job of being, putting you in the shoes of a World War II sniper and putting you in a, in a battle that's exploding all around you. And he is just focusing on picking off like one or two people, 
maybe four or five on a good day. And then that cat and mouse aspect of it, I think is really great. Yeah, the love triangle is nothing new, but I, I, it didn't upset me this time around. I don't know why it didn't, but uh, I, I actually kind of enjoyed that dynamic between uh, Deniliv and Vasily. So originality, I, I'll, I'll give it two thumbs up for originality. Uh, yeah, I, I think I might be somewhere in the middle for you uh, there, but there are definitely parts of it that I enjoyed, like the big war, here's two small people uh, aspect of it. I did enjoy seeing it from the Russian perspective. Uh, I thought there were parts of it that it's like, hey, we saw Saving Private Ryan do this, where like <laughs> they just showed a bunch of massacre and people loved that movie. And it's like, yeah, but they did it intensely and like made you feel it. You guys just walked around and shot 30 people in the head and were like, it's intense, right? You're like, mm, it's gory, but whatever. Um, and then I do feel like the love triangle and the best friends, like we're going to become friends. Now we're going to fight over the girl. Now, like we're going to have an ultimate struggle at the end. Like, it's like, okay, these are things, they're the tropes for a reason, right? Because they work, but it did seem a little tired. Um, uh, as far as quotability, I don't know of a single line I could quote out of this movie yeah. other than Ron Perlman going, there wasn't a sickle, but there was definitely a hammer. Uh, and that's about <laughs> that's, it. That's why. So I know you're a history buff and I know that you're really into World War II. So I was like, I can kind of get how Drew likes this movie. But at the end of it, I was like, I can't think of one quote from that movie that I could see Drew telling people out of context, making them uncomfortable. And that's like your bag. So like, I don't know. I was very confused. And I'm not afraid to quote German. Maybe if there was some German, I would quote some German. My favorite German line in all of cinema comes from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where they're on the tank and one of the little henchmen turns around and goes, De Kappa de Pfeiffer. Da ha. And that's it. No one else speaks German in the entire movie. Just that one guy. And that line has stuck with me for 20 years. Which is incredible because you just watched a two and a half hour movie and couldn't get one English line from it. Not one. (laughs) No, I agree with you. Like I said, the the not very quotable, uh, but it's it's definitely more of like, oh, this is a hero. Let's let's build him up, and it's a cat and mouse game. But it's a lot more expressive, like cutting two snipers on the battlefield after being out there for thirty six hours, and you just see the tiredness on their face like it translates it communicates through that and just the dirt and grind and explosions and the buildings like the town the city itself stalingrad is obliterated in this movie like every single building is blown up and then it gets blown up a couple more times by (laughs) planes constantly that's fair enough um and the last question rewatchability uh Based on this viewing, when is the next time you think you will see this movie? I'm going give to it, give it a month. You're going to watch it again in the month, really? Uh, I can't watch it before one month, so yeah. <laughs> uh, Drew, when do you think the next time you would want to watch this movie is? It's probably going to be a couple of years. I really like that I know about this movie. I really like to bring this one up as like a, a, an offhand pick for war movies, but uh, yeah, the more I think about it, the less I'm like, oh, I'm about Enemy at the Gates. That's what I'm about. This is <laughs> uh, who Drew is as a person. But it's, it's a fun watch and I like to know about it. And I'm, a, I'm glad that I've seen it at least the two or three times that I have watched it over my life. 
Yeah, I, know, I agree. I think this would be something I watch again if I'm with guys that are like, I want to watch a war movie, but I've seen all of these. I'm like, well, you probably haven't seen this one, and it's okay. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Not the Podcast You Deserve. Uh, as we broke down Enemy at the Gates, if you have opinions that we didn't have or think that Kyle's wrong, just let us know at uh, on Twitter at NTPYD Podcast or email us at ntpydpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.